And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. What a day is May 17th, 137th day of the year. 228 days remain to the year's over with. Holidays and national days, I guess you can call them. National Walnut Day. International Child Helpline Day. International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia. National Bike to School Day. National Cherry Cobbler Day. National Employee Health and Fitness Day. National Graduation Tassel Day. National Idaho Day. National Juice Slush Day. National Linda Day. National Mushroom Hunting Day. National Numerosity Day in the UK. National Pink Fix Day. Neurofibromatosis Awareness Day. Packrat Day. Pinot Grigio Day. Darn Beauty Inside Out Day. World Hypertension Day and World Information Society Day. Well, the interesting thing, the, the even in uh, woke finds its way into even the most neutral shows. Well. In 1395, the Battle of the Ravine, the Wallachians defeated an invading Ottoman army. Probably sucked their blood. 1521, Edward Stafford, 3rd Duke of Buckingham, is executed for treason. 1527, Panfilo de Navarre departs Spain to explore Florida with 600 men. By 1536, only four of those 600 survive. 1536, George Boland, 2nd Viscount Roquefort, and four of the men executed for treason. 1536 also saw Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn's marriage annulled. 1590, Anne of Denmark is crowned King of Scotland. 1642, Paul de Chamadet, Sir de Maison Nueve, found the, founds the Villa Marie de Montreal. 1648, Emperor. Fernand III defeats Maximilian I of Bavaria at the Battle of Zeus Marshausen. 1673, Louis, Jolet, and Jacques Marquette begin exploring the Mississippi River. Sorry about that, I had to sneeze and couldn't get the microphone off fast enough. Well, in 1756, the Seven Years' War formally begins when Great Britain declares war on France. In 1760, French forces besieging Quebec retreat after the Royal Navy arrives to relieve the British garrison. 1792, the New York Stock Exchange is formed under the Buttonwood Agreement. Now, the Buttonwood Agreement, for those not familiar with it, is the founding document of what's now the New York Stock Exchange, and it's one of the most important financial documents in U.S. history. The agreement organized trade, uh, securities trading in New York City, it was signed between uh, 24 stockbrokers outside of 68 Wall Street. 
And according to legend, signing took place under a buttonwood tree where the earliest transaction had occurred. Um, New York Stock Exchange uh, celebrates the signing of this agreement on May 17th, 1792, as its founding. Somebody probably immediately sold the buttonwoods. <clears throat> 1805, Muhammad Ali becomes the Wali of Egypt. 1809, Emperor Napoleon I orders the annexation of the Papal States to the French Empire. 1814, occupation of Monaco changes from French to Austria. In the same day in 1814, Constitution always signed and Crown Prince Christian Frederick of Denmark is elected King of Norway by the Norwegian Constitutional Assembly. <clears throat> 1859, members of the Melbourne Football Club codified the first rules of Australian rules football. 1863, Rosalia de Castro publishes Cantares Gallegos, the first book in the Galician language. 1865, the International Telegraph Union, established in Paris, that later became the International Telecommunications Union. 1875, Aristides wins the first Kentucky Derby with jockey Oliver Lewis in 2 minutes 37.75 seconds. 1900, children's novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum is first published in the U.S. First copy of it was given to the author's sister. Can you imagine what that would be worth today? 1902, Greek archaeologist Valerio Stias discovers the Antikythera mechanism, an ancient mechanical analog computer. 1914, the Protocol of Corfu is signed, recognizing full autonomy to northern Epirus under the nominal Albanian sovereignty. 1915, the last British Liberal Party government led by H.H. H. Asquith fails. Maybe by looking at history, you can begin to realize liberalism unchecked by conservatism rarely succeeds. 1933, Vidkun Quisling and John Bernhard Hajort form National Samling, the National Socialist Party of Norway. 1937, Spanish Civil War. Largo Caballo government resigns in the wake of the Barcelona May Days, leading Juan Negrin to form a government without the anarcho-syndicalist CNT in its stead. 1939, the Columbia Lions and the Princeton Tigers play in the U.S. first televised sporting event, a collegiate baseball game in New York City. Nineteen forty, Germany occupies Brussels, Belgium. 1943, World War II, the Dambuster Raids commence with number 617 Squadron of the RAF. 1954, U.S. Supreme Court hands down a unanimous decision in Brown versus Board of Education at Topeka, Kansas, outlawing racial segregation in public schools. 1967, Six Days War, President Gamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt demands dismantling of the peacekeeping U.N. emergency force in Egypt. 1969, Venera 
program. Soviet Venera 6 begins its descent into the atmosphere of Venus. Sends back atmospheric data before being crushed by the pressure. 1973, Watergate scandal. Televised hearings begin in the U.S. Senate. 1974, the Troubles. 33 civilians are killed and 300 injured when the Ulster Volunteer Force detonates four car bombs in Dublin and Monaghan in the Republic of Ireland. 1974, also saw police in Los Angeles raid the Symbionese Liberation Army's headquarters. Kill six members, including Camilla Hall. Uh, if you remember, the Symbionese Liberation Army, or the SLA, is the group that kidnapped Patty Hearst. 1977, Nolan Bushnell opens the first showbiz pizza place, later renamed Chuck E. Cheese in San Jose, California. 1980, General Chun Doo-hwan of South Korea seizes control of the government and declares martial law in order to suppress student demonstrations. Also on that date in 1980, on the eve of presidential elections, Malice Guerrilla Group Shining Path attacks a polling location in Chuchai, a town in Yuchoko, starting the internal conflict in Peru. 1983. Department of Energy declassified documents showing the world's largest mercury pollution event in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Uh, ultimately found to be 4.2 million pounds in response to the Appalachian Observer's Freedom of Information Act request. 4.2 million pounds of mercury is a lot of mercury. That's 1.9 kilotons. Also, on this date, 1983, Lebanon, Israel, and the U.S. signed an agreement on Israeli withdrawal from Lebanon. 1984, Prince Charles calls a proposed addition to the National Gallery in London a monstrous carbuncle in the face of a much-loved and elegant friend, sparking controversies on the proper role of the royal family in the course of modern architecture. Eighty-seven, Iran-Iraq War. An Iraqi Dassault Mirage F-1 fighter jet fires two missiles into the U.S. Navy warship USS Stark. Kills 37 of the crew and injures another 21. 1990, the General Assembly of the World Health Organization eliminates homosexuality from the list of psychiatric diseases. 1992, three days of popular protest against the government of Prime Minister of Thailand, Susinda Kreprayun, begins in Bangkok. Leading to a military crackdown results in 52 officially confirmed deaths, hundreds of injuries, a lot of disappearances, more than 3,500 arrests. 1994, Malawi holds its first multi-party elections. 1995, Sean Nelson steals an M60 tank from the California Army National Guard Army in San Diego and goes on a rampage. The... Um, They destroyed cars and utilities in the suburb, in suburban San Diego. He was a native Californian and a U.S. Army veteran with unusual habits that uh, drew the attention of his neighbors. In the spring of 1995, the 35-year-old had recently suffered financial, professional, and interpersonal setbacks, some of which came from, of course, long-term substance abuse. So on May 17th, 
He stole a 57.3 ton tank from the local California Army National Guard Army and drove it around for six miles, crushing cars and anything got in his path. He didn't injure anybody, though. After the tank crashed and was partially disabled, San Diego police forced it open before shooting and killing Nelson. Nobody's really sure what his motives were. Of course, the uh, incident did raise questions about military security at the uh, armory and caused some changes in California's tank storage. Um, 1997, troops of Laurent Kabila marching uh, the Kinshasa Zaire, um, officially renamed the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Now remember, when something's called the Democratic this, or the Democratic that, or the People's this, or the People's that, it's communist-based. 2000, Arsenal and Galatza uh, Sarai fans clash in the 2000 UEFA Cup final rides in Copenhagen. Copenhagen, I can't talk. 2004, the first legal same-sex marriage in the U.S. are performed in the state of Massachusetts. 2006, the aircraft carrier USS Ariskany has sunk in the Gulf of Mexico as an artificial reef. 2007, trains from North and South Korea cross the 38th parallel on a test run agreement by both governments. First time trains had crossed the demilitarized zone since 1953. And finally, in 2014, a military plane crash in southern Laos killed 17 people. Well, it's interesting to note that there's a lot of, um, well, let's say, interplay behind the scenes among uh, traditional enemies. North and South have been um, at each other's throats since the 1950s. And now Kim, the current leader, and his sister claim that they're going to bury the South. You know, yesterday, when we finished up, I said we were going to talk about Bigfoot today. It's a species of giant ape-like creature that reportedly stalks the woodlands of the Pacific Northwest. Though I do know of two instances in Rock City, Tennessee, where Bigfoots took over RVs. Of course, not having a license, they couldn't take them anywhere. You know, the jury's still, I don't know whether it's monster or myth, but the story of Bigfoot took a huge leap into American folklore. 1924, when the Oregonian reported a violent clash between a group of miners and a band of these, uh, for lack of a better term, ape men. According to Fred Beck, one of the miners, the they spotted the, the creature while working on Mount St. Helena, St. Mount St. Helens, state of Washington. In fact, a miner shot one of them, triggering an assault on the worker's cabin by the angered beast that night. According to Beck, the average Bigfoot stands eight feet tall and weighs between six and eight hundred pounds. The feet measure nineteen inches in length. That same year, Canadian prospector and lumberjack Albert Ostman was looking for a lost gold mine near 
Manitoba Inlet in British Columbia. He said as he lay in his sleeping bag one night, he was picked up and carried off to the wilderness by a large ape-like creature. He was actually held captive for six days. Finally escaped unharmed, but he didn't tell the story for 33 years. He thought people think him crazy. Many people believe the most compelling piece of evidence proving the existence of Bigfoot's a 60-second motion picture shot by Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin at Bluff Creek in northern Canada. The film allegedly shows a female Bigfoot turning its head and looking directly at the camera as it strides off about 25 feet from the two men. Most mainstream scientists, of course, have dismissed the film as a hoax. Uh, others have taken a more favorable view. Remember, most scientists spend their life sitting in their ivory tower uh, telling the rest of us what we should and shouldn't believe. Complete lack of physical evidence of Bigfoot hadn't prevented a creature from becoming a pop culture sensation. Movies, television programs, and books keep the legend alive and growing. And My first mother-in-law, I was positive it was a Bigfoot. Well, from Bigfoot, let's talk about dragons. The most popular and enduring of all legendary creatures. They've appeared in nearly every culture and every corner of the planet. Now, fire-breathing monsters uh, torment uh, fair damsels and battle knights uh, pretty much uh, sums up most people's view of uh, dragons. They're enormous beasts whose thrashing wings and tails transform calm seas and skies into raging torrents. Some dragons are said to live in dark, damp caves. Others on wind-slept mountain peaks and Others in grand palaces located beneath the sea. Earliest known dragons date back more than 4,000 years to ancient Babylon, where a myth credits the formation of the universe to a ferocious she-dragon named Tiamat. Hundreds of years later, a powerful sea-dragon named Leviathan appears in the Book of Job. According to what it says, it's snorting, throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stem from its mouth and sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Well, such vivid biblical imagery convinced a lot of folks dragons were real, often symbolizing Satan himself. And these beliefs, of course... Um, gave rise to the Christian legends of brave heroes and righteous holy men, such as St. George, who slayed dragons to protect innocent and corrupting ways of the devil. Medieval art, the entrance to hell, is frequently depicted as the fearsome mouth of a dragon, razor-sharp teeth ready to devour humanity's lost souls. You know, the, the dragon played a significant role in Chinese culture. Their likeness is appearing prominently on the architecture, sculpture, even on fabric. In China, dragons uh, are commonly thought to bring good fortune and are human and, and honored in numerous festivals and celebrations. But they're also believed to be a destructive force, bringing devastating floods and typhoons on the, the land. In the Americas, the Aztec dragon Quetzalcoatl, a feathered serpent-like creature, was a god. The 
founder of the Aztec civilization that brought culture, language, and agriculture to Mesoamerica. Of course, if you studied the writings about Quetzalcoatl, um, it's actually a man. In the long past, giant skeletal remains of whales and fossils of dinosaurs and other large mammals are seen by some people as proof of a dragon. It was thought to either be a creature living at the time or one who had become extinct. Unlike the Loch Ness Monster and Unicorns and Bigfoot, it's our fascination with the mysterious and improbable that keeps the mythology of the dragon alive and well. Well, from uh, dragons, let's talk about the Minotaur. Now, the Minotaur supposedly was found on ancient Crete. And it was said to be a flesh-eating monster that roamed the darkened corridors of a labyrinth deep beneath the ancient palace of Knossos. One of the ancient world's most bizarre but enduring myths is the tale of the Minotaur, the grotesque Greek mythological monster with the body of a man and the head of a bull. According to myth, the god Poseidon gave Minos, the king of Crete, a magnificent white bull to sacrifice in his name. Minos, of course, chose to sacrifice a different bull instead because a white bull was thought to bring good luck. When Poseidon learned of the king's deception, he punished Minos by making his wife, Pasiphaea, fall in love with the white bull. And she eventually consummated her passion with the beast, and from this union was born the Minotaur. Enraged, Minos had the enormous labyrinth built beneath his palace in the city of Knossos. There the ferocious Minotaur was kept, feeding on children, sent as an annual tribute from the Athenians. Well, images of bulls appeared widely throughout the culture of Crete. 1900 British archaeologist Arthur Evans, while excavating at Knossos, found the depictions of bulls on rings and seal stones and both reliefs and enormous colorful frescoes. The story of human sacrifice at Knossos has traditionally been dismissed as a myth, but... Um, Excavations conducted by British archaeologist Peter Warren there in 1979 turned up about 350 human bones, including those of a number of children. So it does make it appear that, in fact, human sacrifice did take place. Well, we're going to turn from the Minotaur to the fearsome Kraken. Now, according to Alfred Lord Tennyson, in his writing called The Kraken, although the thunders of the upper deep, far, far beneath in the abysmal sea, his ancient, dreamless, uninvaded sleep, the Kraken sleepeth. Now, that poem refers to the Norse legend of a monstrous inhabitant of the deep seas that uh, reputedly attacked ships off the coast of Norway. No tales of enormous multi-tentacled sea creatures have existed since the time of the ancient Greeks. One of the earliest and most detailed written accounts of this gigantic sea creature, known as the Kraken, appears in a history of Norway by the Norwegian bishop Pantapidian. 
was done in 1752. Reports of ships being attacked by giant sea creatures, though they are rare, were nonetheless highly publicized in newspapers by, of the time. By the 18th century, the Kraken had developed a spine-chilling reputation by the early 19th century. There were sensationalistic drawings and illustrations of Krakens attacking ships and devouring helpless seamen could be seen in novels and magazines and even in natural history publications. The uh, inspiration for the legendary Kraken, of course, is the giant squid, which can grow to 43 feet, or the colossal squid, which can reach an astonishing 46 feet. Um, oceanographers and scientists have verified numerous attacks at sea by giant squids. 2003 French yachtsman sailing in the around the world Jules Verne Trophy reported a giant squid about 26 feet long attached itself to their boat, really pulling the boat hard. According to one of them, we didn't have anything to scare off this creature, so I don't know what we would have done if it hadn't let go. Probably just another mystery of the sea. Well, from the Kraken. Let's turn to some of the writings of Marco Polo, where his he introduced Westerners to the mysteries of Asia and provided uh, accounts of some of the uh, unusual wildlife he encountered. He said, Leaving the city of Yashi and traveling ten days in a westerly direction, he reached the province of Karazan. And here we saw huge serpents, 30 feet in length and 8 feet Girt of the body. At the forepart near the head, they have two short legs, having three calls like those of a tiger. Well, these, uh, this little descriptive section appears in the Travels of Marco Polo, written about 1300. It was a written account that chronicles the adventures of traveler and trader Marco Polo. In 1271, the Venice born Polo visited Asia with his father and uncle. Shortly after he came back home, he was imprisoned by Genoans at the time, warring with Venice. During his imprisonment, he regaled his cellmates with tales of his travels. And one of his listeners was Ristocello di Pisa, an Italian writer who recorded Pombo's words and produced the famous travelogue. In the book, he recounts his travels through Asia and describes the geography and the cities and people of numerous Chinese provinces. Also documented his encounters of unfamiliar animals, such as the, the creature unknown to Polo um, that he talked about in the little segment I gave at the beginning of this section. He was actually talking about a crocodile. He said the jaws are wide enough to swallow a man. The teeth are sharp and long, and the whole appearance is so formidable that neither man nor any kind of animal can approach him without terror. Well, he recognized some creatures, such as oxen and wild sheep, but he missed the mark on some others. He was said there were wild elephants in the country, talking about Java and numerous unicorns, which are clearly as big. They've got hair like a buffalo, feet like those of an elephant, and a horn in the middle of the forehead, which is black and very thick. Well, this particular creature, even though he called it a unicorn, is actually a rhinoceros. One of his descriptions still continues to puzzle historians. 
He said, now you must know that in this kingdom of Lambry, there are men with tails. Tails of a palm in length and have no hair on them. These people live in the mountains and they're kind of a wild man. Now, many folks think Polo was talking about the orangutan. But the real orangutan doesn't have a tail. And since he was not uh, writing science fiction, what exactly was he talking about? We don't know. Well, let's talk about things that men have searched for. Artifacts. It vanished 2,600 years ago. And while there are uh, rumors, we don't have any real clues to its possible location. You know, for centuries, archaeologists and fortune hunters have attempted to uh, locate sacred religious uh, relics such as the Holy Grail and the Holy Lance, or even to concretely confirm that they actually existed. Now, among the Bible's most coveted treasures is the elusive Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark is described as an ornate, gold-plated box built by the Israelites to house the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. The box was surmounted by two golden cherubs, and the Israelis would carry the box using two poles inserted through four rings on the bottom of the box. Now, they were thought to have carried the ark with them into battle against various foes, and it was said to possess supernatural powers, delivering them victory after victory on the battlefield. Years after, King David took the ark to Jerusalem, and it remained there until his son Solomon built the first temple and installed the ark in a secure room inside the temple. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and sacked the temple. And at that point, the ark vanished from history. Well, the, the proliferation of theories has attempted to explain the possible whereabouts of the venerated treasure. One says the Babylonians never took the ark because the detailed manifest of what they took did not mention the ark. And they were nothing if not uh, detail-oriented. If this is true, maybe none of the theories is plausible. That the ark was hidden by the Isra uh, Israelites, maybe in a cave in the location never revealed. One of the most curious possibilities is that the Babylonians took the ark to Ethiopia, where it still remains in the town of Aksum, in the cathedral of St. Mary of Zion. Only one man, known as the Guardian, is allowed to see the Ark, which prevents anyone from verifying its authenticity. The most credible claim is that the Ark could have been hidden beneath the temple before the Babylonians overran Jerusalem. Archaeologist Lean Rittmeyer has identified a spot in a section of cut bedrock that matches the dimensions of the Ark. He thinks the Ark may lie buried within the bedrock. But because the Muslim shrine called the Dome of the Rock now stands on top of the, that ground, excavation, of course, is very, very unlikely. And maybe it's best in order to preserve the legend of this biblical treasure. 
Also keep in mind there are stories that the Knights Templar uh, removed the Ark and took it to England. Well, from the Ark, let's talk about the spear that allegedly was used at the crucifixion of Christ. Believed to yield extraordinary power, it becomes the object of desire of one of history's most notorious villains. Now, the Spear of Destiny, also called the Holy Lance, is a relic discovered June 15, 1098, during the First Crusade by Christian crusaders in the city of Antioch. According to the Gospel of John, it's the lance used to pierce the side of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Carrying the lance into battle against the Muslims on June 28, the crusaders crushed the Turkish fighters and seized Antioch. And they attributed their victory to the power of the lance. Well, the so-called Antioch lance and other lances purported to be the one used at the crucifixion ended up in various palaces and other places throughout Europe, including Constantinople, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, Armenia, and even Vienna. In March of 1938, Adolf Hitler, leader of the Nazis, rode into Vienna, Austria to formally annex the German-speaking nation for the Third Reich. Familiar with the legend of the Holy Lance, soon after arriving, he made his way to the city's Hofburg Palace. And inside, displayed among the crown jewels of the Habsburg monarchy, was a plain, unexceptional lance. Not the Antioch lance, which had been lost to history, but another lance alleged to be the one that pierced the side of Jesus. So-called Lance of St. Maurice. Hitler had that lance taken to Nuremberg, Germany. When Nuremberg fell under heavy Allied bombing during World War II, the lance was moved to a specially constructed vault 500 feet beneath Nuremberg Castle. April 1945, the U.S. 7th Army discovered the lance in the vault. Next year, the lance of St. Maurice was returned to the Hofburg Palace, where it remains today. 2003, the lance was examined in a laboratory, and its spearhead was dated to the 7th century. Others believe the weapons are fake and that the real lance remains in the hands of the mythical Fourth Reich. Well, from the Holy Lance, let's talk about uh, the lost city of Ophir. Scholars and historians have known for centuries the name of the site that produced extraordinary quantities of gold for King Solomon. They just didn't know where it was at. According to the Bible, Solomon, son of David, reigned as the third king of Israel from 970 to 931 B.C. And under his leadership, Israel went from a tiny city-state into a dominant Middle Eastern superpower. And his reputation as a wise king, great builder, and masterful politician, aside, he's best remembered as the, the vast wealth he accumulated. Estimated his personal fortune was, in today's money, about $60 trillion, much of it in the form of pure glistening gold. He had an estimated 500 tons of pure gold. Now, the temples and palaces the great king built were adorned with gold. His throne was made of gold and ivory, and the steps leading up to his throne were lined with 12 life-size golden lions, forming a shimmering honor guard before the 
Lies and wealthy ruler. Well, according to the Old Testament, this incredible amount of gold came from a place called Ophir. Either a seaport or a region, though the texts don't really reveal which. According to the Bible, they came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold, 420 talents, and brought it to King Solomon. According to the Bible, Ophir could be reached by ship. Unfortunately, the Bible does not reveal the exact location of Ophir, leaving archaeologists and other scientists to ponder its whereabouts for centuries. Now, he is known for conducting joint trade expeditions with Phoenician King Hiram of Tyre. Expert mariners, the Phoenicians, traveled extensively to Africa and Asia, hinting at those uh, areas as possible locations for Ophir. One popular theory claims the Great Zimbabwe or Mozambique and southern Africa is the land of Ophir. Yucatan Peninsula in present-day Mexico has also been named as a possibility. Unfortunately for treasure hunters around the world, there are few solid facts to substantiate any of these claims. Today, the mainstream thinking places Ophir's location either in southern India, the island of Sri Lanka off the southern coast of India, or modern-day Yemen in the southwestern region of the Arabian Peninsula. That's the likeliest of all locations, according to most scholars. But until hard evidence can be found, there's no uh, solution to the puzzle. Well, from Ophir, let's talk about Akhenaten, who ruled Egypt from 1353 to 1336. And during his 17 year reign, he established himself as the most despised king in the 3,000 year history of ancient Egypt. He's the one that introduced monotheism to the Egyptians, casting aside the, the pantheon of gods the populace had worshipped for centuries. And the names of the gods removed from Egyptian monuments, outlawed the old religious practices, and raised taxes to support his new religion. Of course, these activities uh, did little to endear him to his subject or his successors. His son and successor, Tutankhamun, changed his original name, Tutankhaten, to symbolize his rejection of his father's monotheism and began the process of restoring the old gods. That successor, I and Horemheb, demolished the temples and monuments I could not have erected, using them as building materials for their own temples. If you're, if you're wondering, Aten, A-T-E-N, was the sun god he wanted everybody to worship. Amun, A-M-U-N, was one of the most powerful gods of the ancient pantheon. Statues of Akhenaten were destroyed, and the name of the heretic king was wiped from later king list. And this uh, overzealous ruler remained lost to history until the 19th century when a city he built for the worship of his new god was discovered. An entire city had been abandoned over religious differences. Well... We talked yesterday about the Pyramid of Giza. And I said, it said that there were an entrance to a labyrinth between the paws of the Sphinx. Well, new technologies are enabling archaeologists to 
look into the core of Egypt's uh, most iconic monument. You know, for centuries, archaeologists and historians have tried to unlock the many secrets contained inside the massive Great Pyramid of Giza. Built at least 4,500 years ago, and maybe even uh, further back in time, Great Pyramids, the oldest and largest of the three pyramids at Giza. Now, the pyramid contains three main chambers, the King's Chamber, the Grand Gallery, and the Queen's Chamber. Two air shafts or tunnels travel horizontally from the King's Chamber and then rise into the open air at the outside of the pyramid. Two other tunnels extend from the Queen's Chamber and in its stone doors within the pyramid. Now, the tunnels are tiny, measuring 8 inches by 8 inches. And for decades, archaeologists have been puzzled by the purpose of these tunnels and the barriers and even more baffling where do they go what's what's at the end of these tunnels well in 2011 leading Egyptian and international experts established the, the Jedi project to explore the interior of the Great Pyramid particularly the mysterious tunnels exiting the Queen's Chamber the team built a four-wheeled robot fitted with a micro-snake camera that could see around corners and miniature ultrasonic device that could tap on walls to determine the condition of the stone. Well, it was placed in the tunnel that extends from the south wall of the Queen's Chamber and sent forward. It traveled about 200 feet before reaching the stone door, which already had a hole drilled into it by another robot in 2002. That robot filmed a small chamber behind the door, backed by uh, more blocking stones. This little robot inserted its camera into the hole to peer into the small chamber and filmed images of hieroglyphics and red paint and lines etched into the stones, probably left by masons during the tunnel's construction. Also observed, the back of the door was polished, leading researchers to believe its function might have been... Uh, more important than initially uh, determined. Two loop-shaped metal pins appear in the back of the door, maybe ornamentation. The project was halted following the Egyptian Revolution of 2011. 2016, the Cairo University French project using lasers and demography and radiography technique uh, used to see through solid objects revealed a Great Pyramid contained two unknown cavities. Claim Egypt's Antiquities Ministry criticized as inaccurate and hasty. Year later, the discovery team found a third void in the pyramid, which was noticeably bigger than the previous two. Well, they don't know what they were for. They don't know what's in them, if anything. There's still plans for further exploration. Well, from an examination of the Great Pyramid, let's talk about one of my favorite um, items in history, Noah's Ark. You know, this search for the huge biblical ship has ensured the continuation of mankind goes on and on and on. Supposedly it was a 450-foot vessel God instructed Noah to build in order to survive the Great Flood. And the search has gone on for many centuries. The Old Testament states that the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And I got a new book that's going to come out 
in the near future called the Air Red Anomaly, where I discuss a lot of that. Though scholars believe this location doesn't refer specifically to Mount Ararat, a dormant volcano in eastern Turkey, but rather a broad geographical region. However, in spite of that, numerous efforts to find the remains of the Ark on Ararat have been undertaken. Explorers have found hand-hewed wood on the mountain, but it's been dated to later time periods. Photo taken by a NATO reconnaissance plane in 1959 showed a boat-shaped object nearly buried in rock on a mountainside about 20 miles south of Ararat. An expedition to that site in 1960 produced no solid evidence the shape was anything more than a natural phenomenon. And they didn't find anything when they did expeditions there in 1980 and the 1990s. At the same time, though, there's been nothing definitive found that said it. there's nothing to it at all. Well, we know that we haven't found every tomb the ancients built in Egypt. And two rather well-known historical characters um, are allegedly to had their final rest in Egypt. I'm talking about Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. Now, more than 2,000 years ago, that was Cleopatra, last ruler of Ptolemaic Egypt, Mark Anthony, Roman politician general, challenged Caesar Augustus for control of the Roman Empire. Well, unfortunately for them, their armies were defeated, and the pair are said to commit suicide rather than die at the hands of their enemy. The Romans allowed the two to be buried together, but the tomb has been lost to history. Well, in 2009, archaeologists excavating at the Taposeris Magna Temple, about 30 miles from Alexander, made a discovery of more than two dozen tombs, including several mummies which might indicate the place was the site of an important tomb. This particular tomb was dedicated to the Egyptian god Isis and Osiris, the gods and the lovers associated themselves with during Cleopatra's reign. A team of uh, archaeologists led by uh, Kathleen Martinez found a bust of Cleopatra, coins depicting her image, and a mask that bears resemblance in the known portraits of Mark Anthony. Efforts to locate their actual tomb at uh, Taposiris Magna continue. And, of course, as you might guess, the prospect of solving the mysteries has the experts excited. Dr. Christian Naughton from the Egyptology Exploration Society said Kathleen Martinez is closer to finding Cleopatra's tomb than anybody else has before. Well, I've written about... Um, Alexander the Great, his alleged encounters with UFOs in two of his uh, campaigns. Uh, the final resting place of the ancient world's greatest conqueror was has perplexed scholars for centuries. He was the king of the Greek kingdom of Macedon, forged one of the world's greatest ancient empires, stretching from the Mediterranean Sea to the Indus River, that's about 3,000 miles across. 
He died 323 B.C. at the age of 32. Location of the his tomb is one of history's most enduring enigmas. Most scholars believe he is buried in Alexandria, Egypt, the city he founded in 331 B.C. Dozens of expeditions have scoured the city for his tomb, all unsuccessful, of course. Some archaeologists, though, have proposed entirely different locations for the tomb. 1995, Greek archaeologist Liana Silvazzi insisted she found the tomb in the Siwa Oasis in far western Egypt. Egyptology University dismissed her claim. 2014, discovery of a vast tomb built in Alexander's time in Amphiliopolis in uh, northern Greece has attracted uh, legitimate interest that that might be his final resting place, but that hasn't proven to be um, the location either. Well, Alexander the Great, whose name has lived for a couple of thousand years, let's go to the Fountain of Youth. Now, a Spanish explorer eager for fame and political gain became the target of a vicious campaign of character assassination. You know, the ancient Greeks believed in the restorative power of water. And the ancient Romans built baths and pools intended to rejuvenate the body and mind. And a number of religious groups have incorporated the waters of springs and fountains into their sacred rites. Well, when European explorers came to the New World in the 15th century, they were seeking riches and new trade routes. Ponce de Leon was awarded a contract by the Spanish monarchy to search for, explore, and settle the uh, islands of Bimini. He's credited as the first known European to head an expedition to Florida. So how did he gain everlasting notoriety as the obsessive seeker of the Fountain of Youth? The legendary spring that gave eternal life to whoever bathed in it or drank its waters. Well, not long after his death in Cuba in 1521, fabricated stories linking him to the Fountain of Youth began to surface. 1535, Gonzalo Fernandez de Oviedo y Valdez, uh, de Leon's political foe, came up with a story the excavator learned of a magic fountain with rejuvenating waters from the native Indians and set off to find it. 1575 memoir, written by Hernando de Escalante Fontaneda, Spanish shipwreck survivor who lived with Indians in Florida, also uh, cemented de Leon's alleged quest. Juan Ponce de Leon, giving heed to the tale of the Indians of Cuba and Santo Domingo, went to Florida in search of the, the River Jordan. That was another name for the Fountain of Youth. Well, these accusations were intended to portray Leon as vain and easily taken in. I mean, who else but a simple-minded buffoon would stumble upon and discover a new land? Florida, while seeking magical waters. Well, by the 19th century, the story was widely accepted as fact. Many believers neglected to consider there was no documents from the time, including letters written by or to Ponce de Leon and numerous contracts he signed with the Spanish monarchy to explore the New World, ever mention such a fountain. So, of course, I retire scientists who uh, only come out of their ivory tower to go to a bigger tower Dismissed the whole story as a as just a fable. Well, 
you know, there's a lot of stories from the past that uh, certainly are fascinating today. For example, how about the Lost Legion of Rome? You know, ancient Rome's expert fighting unit, the Ninth, mysteriously vanished in ancient Britain. What happened to these well-trained veterans of countless military campaigns? Almost 2,000 years ago, Rome's elite Ninth Region vanished somewhere in Britain's remote northern frontier. No one could understand how 5,000 of Rome's best-trained, best-armed warriors suddenly vanished, leaving behind not a single trace of what happened to them. Roman General Pompey formed the Ninth Region about 65 uh, B.C. After fighting successful campaigns throughout the Roman Empire, the Legion was deployed to Britain to participate in the Roman invasion of 43 A.D. And by this point in time, the Legion was one of the most hardened, feared fighting forces in the Imperial Roman Army including the defeat of both the Caratacus and Finotius, British chieftains resisting the Roman invasion. After suffering a devastating defeat at the hands of Boudissa, the queen of the British, a Celtic Icingi tribe in 60 AD, the reinforced ninth resumed its winning ways, crushing resistance by the Caledonians in the northern fringes of the empire. Present-day Scotland, don't you know? Went away to celebrated legion helped rebuild a stone fortress at York. That was its last recorded activity. So, what happened to the Ninth Legion? Was it disbanded to help swell the ranks of other units? Was it deployed someplace else, maybe into the far reaches of the Empire in the East? The uh, prevailing theory at this point in time is the Ninth Legion was destroyed in a series of battles fought against tribal insurgents and the far northern frontiers of the Scottish Highlands. Having formed binding alliances, the once despaired independent tribes gathered sufficient manpower, equipment, and supplies to decimate the Ninth. Fighting likely occurred between 110 and 120 because Roman Emperor Hadrian visited Britain in 122, accompanied by a new legion, the Sixth. The loss of the elite Ninth Legion compelled the Emperor to take critical action. In 122 A.D., he began construction of a fortified barrier known as Hadrian's Wall, keeping invaders out of Rome's northern territories in Britain. Well, the, the main tragedy of the Ninth Legion is its soldiers are left exposed in remote lands, surrounded by Britons all too eager to oust the Roman intruder at any cost. In retrospect, the highly heralded uh, ace-fighting force was also the most unfortunate of Roman legions. Of course, there are stories that it wound up uh, coming to the New World. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow and talk about more of history's mysteries. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.